This upcoming concert season will be all about the boots, and Tecovis is your stop for the best in Western style. Tecovis has seasonal and limited edition offerings this spring and summer, including men's and women's boots, apparel, hats, bags, and more. All Tecovis boots are made by hand in a time-honored tradition with timeless styles that are always on trend. And Tecovis has first wear comfort with little to no break-in period. It's hard to find this level of comfort paired with this level of style. Stop by your local Tecova store, have a complimentary drink or two, that's WCB style, and shop new styles. The smell of fresh leather and friendly staff are at your service. Many stores even have leather custom branding to make your boots truly personalized. And with regular live music and events, there's no in-store experience like it. If you can't make it into a store, just visit tecovas.com. That's T-E-C-O-V-A-S.com. They offer free shipping on all boots, as well as free returns and exchanges, and ship right to your door. Go to tecovas.com and find your new favorite pair of boots today. Fishing like a local isn't just about catching fish. It's about connecting with the environment and the people who call it home. It's about hearing the stories and traditions that have been passed down for generations and sharing unforgettable moments with the people you meet along the way. Fishing like a local is having an experience that stays with you forever. And with Fishing Booker, you can experience it too, no matter where you are. Discover your next adventure on Fishing Booker. What's up, y'all? want to welcome you back to the Hunt Stand Podcast. Season 2, and this is your host, Will Cooper. The Hunt Stand Podcast is your weekly source for insightful conversations with veteran hunters, dedicated outdoor enthusiasts, and top industry personnel. I'm going to have guests on here who are true experts in their field, diving into the captivating world of our industry and the great outdoors. With each episode, you, the listener, will receive invaluable knowledge, tips, and guidance on how to enhance your skills in the wild and in life. Tune in to be entertained, informed, and driven to reach new heights. The Hunt Stand Podcast is brought to you by Yamaha and its full line of class-defining, adventure-seeking motorcycles, ATVs, and side-by-side vehicles. The Hunt Stand Podcast is also brought to you by Springfield Armory and their lineup of Model 2020 Waypoint Rifles. And finally, the Hunt Stand Podcast is brought to you by Stealth Cam. It's never been easier to go wireless with the Command Pro app. Capture high-quality photos and videos of all the action wherever you hunt with Stealth Cam's advanced cameras and data plans tailored to your needs. So make sure to check out their website today, StealthCam.com. Hunt Stand Podcast Season 2. Buckle up. It's going to be a good ride. Let's go. All right. Well, Brett, first and foremost, welcome to the Hunt Stand Podcast. No, I appreciate it. Thanks for having me today. Yeah, man. I'm glad you're able to take the time between classes and everything else you're doing and turkey season and being able to just talk turkey with me today. Yeah, no, for sure. A little bit, a little bit of scouting today, so I'm not dressed in my normal teaching attire, but I suppose that's all right. And I guess I should probably apologize for anybody watching this that I'm I'm housed in the the office at the house downstairs instead of my cool <laughs> upstairs one because my partner's in meetings upstairs today. So yeah, and I, figured right. it, I figured it'd be quieter here than with all the chaos of the students running around. <laughs> so, yeah. Now, uh, is camo a normal everyday thing for your class? Like you okay to wear camo to class? You oh, do yeah. that? Sweet. I oh yeah. Yeah. I mean, you know, there's a, 
there's probably a decorum we should have as academics, but, but, you know, one of the beauties of the the program. So I'm, I'm a professor at Louisiana state university in the school of renewable natural resources. Mm-hmm. And one of the beauties of our program is by the time you get to kind of the junior senior level, we're very, very field heavy in a lot of classes. <laughs> yeah. And, and when you go to the field, you know, ties and, you know, not that I ever wear a tie, but collared shirts and that kind yeah. of stuff isn't really a thing. So um, we'll, we'll show up and, you know, they're more often than not during the semester, I'm in there wearing a pair of muck boots and, you know, hunting pants and, a, you know, a sweatshirt or a T-shirt and, you know, a, a bottle of off in my back pocket and some sunscreen before we go. Um, it's acceptable. You know, as opposed to what you'd expect in a usual, the, the tweed jacket and the pipe and that kind of thing. So. <laughs> well, man, you know, now that we got into it, what I like to do to kind of get the podcast started is I like for the guests to give those listeners that what I call the 30 foot tree stand view, you know, kind of like that 30,000 foot view of who you are. So, I mean, tell us who you are, man. Sure. So, um, well, my name is Brett Collier. Um, and like I said, I'm a professor at LSU. I, I grew up in a rural uh, East Central Illinois, um, you know, kind of a farming agrarian mixture type of family. Um, and, uh, you know, my grandparents, you know, were farmers and my great grandparents and all that. And then, um, you know, I went to school and uh, actually studied uh, economics initially, um, did my undergrad in economics and, uh, realized that I really liked looking at the, the, you know, growing up a hunter and, you know, I was deer hunting and, you know, squirrel hunting and that kind of stuff on the yeah. farm and, uh, growing up like that, I realized I kind of wanted to change my game. And I got into looking at, uh, a lot of, uh, environmental policy and environmental science and wildlife conservation science for my graduate career and did my PhD at the University of Arkansas, studying deer, of all things. Hmm. Um, And, uh, you know, we were talking about Brian Murphy earlier. You know, I'd known Brian from way back then. And then uh, I went down to Texas A&M for a postdoc and uh, started studying turkeys. And that would be about uh, about 20 years ago now. Um, I'm a a pretty avid hunter and and outdoorsman. Um, If if you can hunt it and if I can find time, I, I try to do it. Um, you know, I'll be heading to Texas a week from Saturday to go do some hunting down there and then going to sneak over, sneak over to Louisiana and hunt there while I'm teaching and helping teach a forestry camp and, um, you know, run, run through, you know, a couple mornings at camp, mm. sneak out a little bit before the students get up. Um, and, you know, but yeah, pretty avid hunter, um, you know, run Springer Spaniels for Upland Game Birds because I like uh, woodcock hunting a lot. Um, you know, it's, you know, whenever that's kind of my fall thing and big deer hunter, big, obviously a big turkey hunter. I was out scouting earlier. Yeah. Um, and then, you know, the, the other side of the coin is, is being a professor. Um, you know, I, I teach predominantly juniors and seniors there at LSU, mm. uh, in our wildlife ecology major. Um, and that covers the gamut from people who are interested in game species to students who are interested in non-game species and, and everything in between. Right. Yeah. Um, and, uh, I run a, uh, a pretty active, I co-direct, I guess you should say with my friend, Kevin, another faculty member, a pretty active and probably the biggest collegiate new hunter recruitment program in the nation. Mm-hmm. Um, there at LSU, where we do a, an awful lot of, uh, hunter recruitment and taking kids on their first hunts and hunter education and safety and shooting sports safety type Sweet. of stuff. So, so as much time as I can, you know, get into the woods, I do. And right now is my kind of busy season. Because turkeys, you know, we we finished turkey trapping for the year and our our females are, you know, getting ready to start nesting if some of them haven't started laying eggs by now. And graduate students are frantically running around out in the woods trying to keep track of, you know, 160 birds all over the place. Gosh. And, 
you know, and so it's uh, it's just you know just a busy time for me, but uh, it's good. I'm glad to be here and hope we can uh, at least keep the listeners interested past this point. You know what I mean? Heck yeah, man. Oh, I'm sure we will. I'm sure we will. Well, man, now uh, you said you're coming to Texas, right? Yeah, I'm going to be, uh, I've got uh, some friends down in Texas and we're going to sneak down uh, outside of San Antonio. No no more accurate area than that. But uh, we got some places we're going to go do a little turkey hunting down in San Antonio. And I'm going to meet with some colleagues with Texas Parks and Wildlife down there because we do a lot of turkey research in yeah. Texas too. Yeah. And so I'm kind of doubling up the trip is to run over there and, and meet with, you know, Jason Harden, who's a state turkey biologist, mm-hmm. and his boss, Sean Oldenberger, and talk about where we're at on science and long-term conservation goals and, you know, research needs and that kind of stuff. Sweet. And then oh, I'm going to sneak out for a couple of days and hunt Rios. Cool. Um, because why not? <laughs> why not? I mean, it's it's in the thick of the season. The North Zone just oh, yeah. started. So, yeah, yeah. they're fired. They're, this has been a pretty good start to the season. I went out Saturday morning and we got close, no cigar, but Goblin was going nuts that morning oh um, yeah my buddies are all my buddies down there are all sending me pictures so like hey you should come hunt with us you know they're all holding up birds and everything yeah. and i'm like a couple weeks guys i'm busy right now i'll be so. there i'll be there but i'm coming yep i'm gonna throw everything in the truck and head over heck so. yeah man well man what i want to talk about today is the state of the turkey uh one mm-hmm. of one of the common occurring themes discussion topics things you're constantly hearing about of late is the declining turkey population. And so I want to kind of address some of those main hypotheses that uh, reasons why we're seeing some of these. In some areas we are, some areas we aren't. So I want to kind of get into that, man. So, I mean, to get us started, I mean, tell us about, you know, you're deeply, deeply involved with the NWTF. So, I mean, this is obviously a big project of theirs and what, what they're doing. So, I mean... Kind of tell us about what's going on with the wild turkey right now. No, sure. So um, a little history for for everybody out there that's listening. You know, um, turkey restoration started kind of gangbusters in the late 60s and early 70s. Yeah. Um, you know, we didn't really start uh, as, as a, a hunting community, really start hunting turkeys really hard. Until the late 80s, yeah. um, we were restoration was going on. There were pockets, right? Mm-hmm. But restoration was going on. And, you know, so there was, I mean, turkey hunting originally was a fall sport. Yeah. I mean, that's when most turkey hunting was done, right? And and the whole, the spring side of it didn't come along until later. And so we had this big period of restoration, you know, and NWTF was obviously involved and the state agencies would capture and move birds around. And, and you know, it's, it's probably, turkey restoration is probably the, example of a successful restoration at the landscape scale mm-hmm. of, of any species right um so we we kind of watched this this growth of wild turkeys in the united states um and, and i'll talk more about the southeastern united states uh think like east texas across east texas up to missouri kind of across yeah because that's where they're, they're going to be the the canary in the coal mine mm-hmm. i guess i would say for right now because they were the ones that had turkeys first and for the longest so what's happening there will trickle out to other places that were restored later or whatnot so um so kind of post-restoration um you know birds are active we see this big influx of hunting um, and at the same time, you know, of, of hunters getting engaged in the sport. And then at the same time, you know, we're dealing with all these other issues that affect this bird. Um, large scale changes in landscapes, uh, you know, fragmentation, 
um, you know, urbanization, uh, changes in agricultural practices. Uh, you know, we had issues with Smokey the Bear. You know, only you can, you know, stop forest fires when prescribed burning is, a, is an integral part of our southern pine landscapes and, yeah. and, you know, the southeastern United States. Um, and then about early to mid 2000s, the the biologists in the states um, and and the researchers and and I'm I'm a researcher you know I work with the state agency biologists um, to try and solve problems and, and help answer questions they they started to notice that the turkey numbers seemed to be not as good as they used to be yeah uh, harvest numbers were down um, and and continued to kind of go down just a, a little bit at a time every year. Okay. And, you know, uh, our, our indices, kind of our data that, that turkey managers use is uh, things like uh, how many birds are shot per unit hunter effort, right? So how many days does it take a hunter, an average hunter to shoot a bird? And how many birds are harvested? And how many poults per hen are we seeing? So how many juveniles per adult do we see um, whenever we're just out doing surveys? Mm -hmm. And we started to notice that all these indices, like all the things that we measure for turkeys were declining, all, all of them. Uh, basically reproduction and harvest, which are both sides of the equation, all looked like they were going down. Um, now harvest numbers in some places have been fairly steady and, and jumped around a little bit, but everybody was seeing declines in reproduction. And it, in some states, we have actually seen, like Alabama, seen pretty significant declines in, in harvest numbers over time. Yeah. Um, some of the other, I think Georgia and I know South Carolina has seen some declines and Louisiana certainly has. So the state agency said, OK, we need to start trying to get a handle on what's going on with turkeys. And they said, OK, well, what do we need to think about? Well, we're dealing with really broad scale landscape change, you know, Um lands are land fragmentation is a huge deal we all know that um with fragmentation becomes changes from what's being done on it because well you can do a lot more on a thousand acres than you can do on you know 110 acre plots or mm -hmm. something like that you know um where how do we deal with uh the fact that fire was taken off the landscape for a long time and we used herbicide pretty regularly to keep uh industrial forests clean underneath um how do we deal with timing of harvest? That's another big issue that people are looking at is the regulatory aspect of it. Because turkey hunters, as got, they got into it, the social dynamic of that is everybody wanted to hunt earlier, right? Yeah. Well, turkeys are the only upland game bird species in the United States that we hunt during their reproductive season. The only one. And I, I want to say that again so everybody can hear Turkeys are the only upland game bird species that we hunt during their reproductive season. If, if you know, so huh. so that became a question: is is that going to have an impact on breeding and on the the number of hens that get bred or the timing of breeding? And it, it ties into things like nesting rates. So, our hens, you know, we we look back at some of the old data, and nesting rates are ninety and hundred percent. You know, every year to year, some of this says everybody goes to nest. Now we see some places where it's seventy or eighty percent. Wow. And, and some of our hens aren't nesting. And then you you combine that with kind of the overarching issues of changes in climate, changes in landscape use, the fact that we pulled fire off landscape. And it got everybody kind of wondering, okay, do we have a problem that we need to start addressing? And if so, what's the, what's the optimal thing we should do, right? Um, obviously turkeys, I mean, we're not gonna wake up tomorrow and not have turkeys in the United States. Right. Um, but for the listener, think about bobwhite quail, 
the concern was our turkeys now where bob white quail were 30 years ago and then where bob white quail are now is not very many places so we want to be sure we try to stave off if this is going to happen to turkeys. We need to figure out what it is and try and, you know, do what we can. So so a bunch of the really smart state agency biologists started talking and came up with plans for, you know, everything from land management to discussing regulatory issues. And there's a, a Southeastern Wild Turkey Technical Committee. There's actually a national technical committee that gets together every year at the, the NWTF convention in Nashville. Um, but then, you know, there's Midwestern and there's a Western Tech Committee and they got talking about what kind of information that they needed. And, and that's kind of where people like me come in is then they'd reach out and say, OK, we need to start monitoring things like nest survival, yeah. and nest success and and um, male survival and what male harvest rates are. And how that's gone is um, we just did the most recent status report uh, in uh, 2022. Um most states are those states that were declining in the southeast are still showing declines in the number of birds harvested. Um, those states that are stable or fairly stable, where we see increases in harvest are up in the northeast and in the northern Midwest. So, uh, like uh, Wisconsin, Michigan, yeah, they they tend to be really stable, have very stable you know, very stable numbers for things like harvest and populations. I actually have a former graduate student in Wisconsin right now, um, and she's doing good stuff up there. But um, And then the Northeast, right? Um, and the South, the reason the South is such a, a, an area of interest in the United States is this, the kind of Southeastern region. They've been the predominant kind of like turkey stronghold mm -hmm. in the United States. You think about your Mississippis, your Louisianas, your Alabamas, you know, your, your Florida's, your Osceola's, your Georgia's, the South Carolina's and Tennessee, you know, you, you, they've been a, always been a real stronghold. So we as a community of Turkey scientists have been taking a real hard look at everything that could potentially be leading to the decline or impacting the decline and trying to see what we can do from a regulatory or land management perspective to uh i don't want to say arrest it because i don't want it to sound like it's like we're falling off a cliff or like i don't want to give any of the listeners that thought yeah. but you know slow it down so that we can get our, our hands on it and and there's been quite a few hypotheses that have been put forth on on what may cause the decline yeah. or may have have impact and there's a bunch of them out there um some of the bigger ones that people talk about obviously uh land use change is a huge issue right um change over in how forests are managed change over in fragment you know fragmentation of the landscape lots of urbanization lots more people you know people in boston complain about turkeys roosting on their houses and their cars you know um so so that but that's more you know regional yeah you know that affects birds kind of roughly the same across the way um there, there have been discussions on the regulatory timing aspect of it. Um, are we hunting turkeys too early? Comes up a lot. That's a that's a question that people ask. Um, and and that one gets a lot of it gets a lot of my focus, admittedly, um, because what we're interested in. Sorry, my spaniel just woke up and decided to come and say hi. Um, yeah, the, the old spaniel woke up. The young spaniel still sleeping. Um, <laughs> but uh, you know, so when we think about regulatory timing, all the data says that. 
females that nest early are most successful. Yeah. Right. So you nest early, you're more successful. And, you know, the regulatory time in question basically come down to when should we time season openings such that most of the females are getting bred before males start to be removed, mm-hmm. before the availability of males for breeding starts to occur. Um, that's the the crux of the kind of regulatory questions that yeah. we ask. And, and a lot of states are taking some uh, proactive experimental approaches to that. You know, yeah, go it's 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 interesting you say this and you're bringing this up because Texas I can remember ten years ago uh, I am what I am in the what they call the north zone of the state mm-hmm. and I can remember our season used to open up I think it was second or third weekend of March and now we don't start till April first and so now that I'm hearing you saying this it's like oh that's makes sense I think that's why they did that yep. Yeah. And, and, you know, the the reason behind a lot of regulatory changes is it's a balance. Mm -hmm. And and this is a really it's not complex. Hunters want to hunt as early as possible. Yeah. We have been stuck in the house fishing or deer hunting for the last however many months. And turkey season is really that's like the last hurrah until fall. Right. Yep. You know, I mean, that's it's way. So everybody wants to be in the woods as soon as possible. Um, everybody thinks that birds get gobbled out, and and I think you said you had Mike on talking about gobbling earlier. So we're just gonna we're gonna leave that at that and say they don't get gobbled out and just move on. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, but you know, but everybody wants to get out there as soon, and I and so do I. I want to get out there as soon as possible, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and in the states, so the states' goal, any state, right? Their goal is to try and balance hunter social expectation. And, and, and what, what it takes to keep hunters engaged and excited and happy and meeting their expectations with biological implications of that, right? Right. I mean, we we as people, humans, not anybody that's alive right now, but we have shot out about every species at least once. Mm-hmm. You're right. So it can be done. I mean, let, let me, let's just face it. It can certainly be done. Oh, yeah. Um. So so the states are trying to reach that balance. So so a lot of the states are are experimentally trying some different things and and really what they're trying to do is they're trying to manipulate season timing such that nest success is maximized okay that that's that's the number one thing if we can get more nests to be successful that's the win yep and because we generally lose somewhere between seven and eight of every nests on the landscape every year right so only about 20 to 30 percent are successful in any given year um so the states have said, oh, okay, well, maybe if we adjust our seasons, you know, maybe um, try and ensure we've got enough males available. So, you know, you can only shoot one adult. I think South Carolina has a rule. You can shoot one adult male during the first 10 days, right? Mm-hmm. And then, you know, or or some of these states like Louisiana um, was fairly proactive. Cody Sidital, the turkey biologist, and, you know, moved the season back to, you know, uh, I think it's, you know, uh, a week or two later than it had been. Um, Alabama has done that. There's been some experimental work in Tennessee looking at uh, regulatory timing, um, you know, and, and, you know, Texas, you know, you know, Texas moved back. Yeah. The, the intention on those is not to impact 
hunter engagement or hunter enthusiasm. Mm -hmm. It's it's the state agency's responsibility to ensure sustainability of the resource, right? Yeah. So so that hypothesis is is one that's kind of floating around out there. Um, there's been discussions on disease, just being fully open with all this. You know, so you talk about harvest, and then there's been discussions on disease. Mm -hmm. um, I'm not a huge proponent of the disease concern in turkeys. Um, and here's why. We generally don't find just dead turkeys everywhere. Right. You know, like if avian cholera hits a, a waterfowl, you know, you have ponds full of dead ducks. Right. They're, just, they're everywhere. You know, yeah. or if you have, you know, hemorrhagic disease, get into deer, you just find dead deer all over the place. I mean, it's very, it's very, very common. We don't ever see that with turkeys. Um, you know, we don't randomly with all the birds we tracked over the last 20 years, we don't randomly just see them dying in the woods. They're almost always eaten by something. Now, I do think they carry stuff, you know, LPDV. Um, you know, uh, what are, what is it, RSV? Um, you know, uh, they have pox, you know, have, there's all, you know, they're, um, uh, blood parasites and all kinds of stuff they carry. Yeah. Right. And I'm not a, I'm not a disease expert by any means. I'm a demographer, uh, when it comes to turkeys, but there's all kinds of stuff they carry. But the questions are, do those have an impact on production? That's really what we're talking about. True. So if, if they don't have an impact on production and they don't cause mortality, then they're probably kind of like us getting a cold would be the the equivalency um and, and you know and you know you get a bunch of the 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 chaos right oh it's black flies oh it's you know this midge or you know it's they're they're getting aflatoxins from eating corn and it does happen birds do die from that stuff but we don't see the mass die-offs that it would take to drive populations down right right um female harvest is another issue that folks talk about not so much a concern anymore. Um, early work in the 90s basically thought that turkey populations could sustain about 10% female harvest every mm -hmm. year, um, especially in the fall, because that's when most females get harvested. You're not, you're generally not allowed to shoot females in the spring unless they're bearded. Right. Um, but in the fall, um, that's when they would most. And, you know, some of the work out of the, the Virginia, West Virginia area basically came to estimate, eh, you know, about 10% is okay. Um, I'm anti-female harvest, just for the record. I've said it a bunch of times, and I'll say it here. Uh, whenever we're talking about populations that are declining, removing a reproductively active female from the population is just, it doesn't make any sense to me. No. So, you know, I mean, yeah. So, um, but that's that's one of the, the other hypotheses. Um, there, there's been, uh, you know, other questions regulatorily, um, you know, on bag limits. Like how many birds should we sort of an individual be able to harvest? Um, you'll see, generally speaking, the southern states and a big paintbrush here. OK, generally speaking, the southern and kind of plain states are a little bit more liberal in their bag limits yeah. than the, the northeast and the, the upper Midwest states as a general rule. Um, you know, I mean, there's some variability mm -hmm. in there, right? But, yeah. you know, there's a lot of states you can shoot two or three or four birds in and some you can only shoot one. Um, no. You know, uh, most hunters shoot zero turkeys. <laughs> that, I mean, they do, right? That's true. So the, the average harvest, the average hunter harvest is zero. <laughs> um, so, you know, you think about it like that. And, and I don't know about how much the manipulation of bag limits can have an impact. I think it's more of a timing issue. Um, there's been some discussion about density effects. Did we have too many birds? And by definition, if you got too many of something, at some point they have to 
they either reproduce or survive not as well. Mm-hmm. Did we overshoot the target? And now we're kind of, from a population perspective, being brought back into maintenance levels. Um, that's entirely possible. Uh, you know, um, I'm not a big proponent of that uh, philosophy of that theory, but as a scientist, I can't not say that it's out there. Yeah. Um, you know, that, that there is a hypothesis, there could be some, some density related effects. And then a uh, predation is always a big one. Yeah. Um, you know, everybody talks about uh, predation, um, predation of adults, predation of nests is kind of where it breaks down to. And generally speaking, most of the, the data out there indicates that um, the uh, male mortality is from a, you know, it's, it's three inches at a time. Right. Yeah. It's, it's getting shot, yeah. you know, um, and that's okay. <clears throat> Female mortality occurs when they're on the nest and they get predated while during the reproductive period um, and, and or the nest gets predated. And there's a, <clears throat> a suite of factors that go into what causes nests to or to not be predated, uh, ranging from the density of predators to the vegetative community that you're in, to the age of the female, to all these other different things. Yeah. Um, so <clears throat> what we're doing and I'm going to use we in the very big omnibus umbrella, right? Yeah. All the turkey scientists that are out there studying turkeys right mm-hmm. now. And there's there's <laughs> there's miraculously a hell of a lot more right now than there were five or six years ago when it was just me and Mike really? uh, doing stuff. Oh, yeah. There's a lot of turkey projects that have started up in the last three or four years. Sweet. Um, yeah, which is great. I mean, don't get me wrong. It's fantastic. But yeah. for a while, it was just, you know, Mike and I doing stuff. And now there's... A lot of people cranking up. Um, everybody's looking at all of these questions in a different way. Yep. But we're generally speaking, we're all working together and communicating mm-hmm. and collecting the same information as best we can, you know, right. within logistical constraints, so that that information can be broadly shared and and utilized to help everybody make the best decision. Because you know, the turkey biologist in Mississippi, his name's Adam Butler, right? Mm-hmm. Adam talks to turkey biologists in Louisiana, Cody Sinatra, all the time, right? They visit about stuff and everything. And they'll meet with Roger Shields, who's in Tennessee, you know, or Jason Harden, who's in Texas, or or any number of them. They all talk and communicate. So all the scientists that work in these different states all talk and communicate so that we can all be sure that we're all staying up to speed on what everybody else is doing what's working what's not working what what we can add to that might help like, what can i add to my project that's going to help somebody in north carolina yeah or what can somebody in missouri add to their project that's going to help me right mm-hmm. and and that's been a real boon so i think we're starting to get our hands wrapped around this question and get our hands wrapped around turkeys a little bit better such that we can start making uh educated management recommendations seeing that uh, is that's kind of, that's kind of where I was going next with it was you know with all these hypotheses and that are out there and then all this research and everything that y'all are gathering right now you know when do y'all kind of anticipate that we might have essentially actionable answers for all these state agencies to start going doing nonstop it's 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 the problem is is that there's no it's there's no fixed date right it's con- it's continuous it's um there's no silver bullet that's the i guess the that's the analogy True. i use there's no there's no one thing we're going to do x and everything's going to be okay it's mm-hmm. incremental and all the knowledge that we gain goes immediately 
to all the states yeah. and they make they, they everybody's tweaking and and some states are tweaking stuff one way and some states are tweaking stuff a different way such that they can see what works and what doesn't work right um i wish i could give you a good answer for that i really do right yeah. i wish i could say if we do x we're set right mm-hmm. but but i don't think that it exists i think that what is going to happen in louisiana is going to be much different than what we need to do in Nebraska. Yeah, absolutely. You know? and, and I think, but I think that the information that we collect in Louisiana can help inform Nebraska. And I think that the information that Nebraska mm-hmm. collects can help inform Missouri and what Missouri collects can help inform Virginia. And, and then as these, the agency personnel get together and talk and discuss with us, they can pick and choose what best suits their socio-political uh, abilities yeah. and and tweak a little bit so that we can continue to, to move forward. I mean, the good news is nobody's moving backwards, okay? Mm-hmm. that That's really the most important part of all this is that everybody is, is pushing some button or, or putting their thumb on turkeys right now to try and figure out what we can do to better support and conserve and ensure the longevity of the species, because we're all so adamant. We're, we're adamant turkey hunters. I mean, we're, we're, I mean, I love it. Like I love turkey hunting and you know, uh, the fact that I'm going later this year is just a function of the calendar and how busy I am. But yep. none of us want to see turkey hunting shut down or anything like that, but right. we're just following what the science says. I mean, the, the quickest answer, and I, I jokingly say this everyone, right? Brett is making a joke. Everybody says, again, a joke. Well, can we just close seasons? Close seasons for a couple years and let them catch. No, I don't think that does any good. Mm -mm. Yeah, you're going to carry over more males, right? Because we lose 25% of our males every year to harvest. But if we don't solve the reproduction problem, nothing else matters. True. And that's that's really where it hinges on is the reproduction problem. And and that's what everybody is focusing on. I mean, and, and we do a lot. Uh, I mean, as as a scientific cohort, we do a ton of stuff. I mean, ranging from tracking hens that are nesting to collecting eggs and doing DNA on the eggshells. And, you know, there's a, a really a, a student named Sarah who uh, was at University of Georgia that is now at Tennessee Tech who did some really neat stuff looking at how flocks were interrelated within different areas and you know, who was breeding with who and who was related to who in these flocks that were captured. It's, it's insightful type of stuff, right? Information we historically haven't had, and we can use that to tweak management. And yeah. that's really what it's about is, is you know, we're just, we went from not being able to hunt turkeys to being able to hunt turkeys. And now we're just kind of tweaking a little bit what we're doing in a bunch of different states in a bunch of different ways to try and see what works the best. So, gotcha. You know, the next question I want to ask, uh, you, you touched on this a little, little bit ago. Uh, is it possible that we've experienced kind of like this unsustained bubble in many turkey populations relative to hunter expectations? Sure. Oh, hundred percent. I would, I would say 100% we have, um, hunters want to, and I am one, I'm a hunter. Mm-hmm. Hunters want to hunt as early as possible, yeah. as long as possible with the maximum bag limit. That's that's just the way that it is, right? Yeah. Um, early on in in turkey recovery and in, in kind of early on and middle, the midway through to the end of restoration, 
turkey populations were growing like gangbusters because we were putting birds out into a landscape that had no restrictions. There were mm-hmm. no birds or it was, it was wide open, right? So birds had a lot of space. They could do what they wanted to do. Made lots of babies. Production was really, really high in the 80s and 90s, okay? Um, then started to fill in. You know, we're dealing with all the other issues with land. Production starts to decline. We're still hunting birds. We were hunting, we were hunting birds harder in the early 2000s than we were in the 90s, right? And we're hunting birds harder now than we were. Um, it's absolutely possible that we overshot and that our regulatory actions were based on an expectation of uh, maintaining really, really high turkey populations. Mm-hmm. And and I, I use regulatory in the, the broad sense of, you know, as many days as possible, as early as possible, and harvest as many birds as possible. Yeah. And we probably now are in a position where some, um, some reversion, some pulling back mm-hmm. might be in order um of various regulatory actions uh reductions in bag limits uh reductions in season length are generally the first two that that are done um but that's not going to solve the problem yeah okay just just not like reducing the bag limits or, or whatever is not going to be the only thing to solve the problem it's the it's the production side of the equation that we're also dealing with yeah. right um and it's it's entirely possible that, that this overshot happened. I think it did. Um, and I think that we're probably in, I think the 80s and the early and the, the mid 90s were were kind of like generation one for wild turkeys. Yeah. And I think I think we're approaching what I'd call generation two. Um, lower popular, you know, we're moving to where we where the new normal is probably lower production, lower overall population sizes, lower harvest, just just a reduced harvest. We want it to be sustainable first, mm-hmm. and then we want to increase it if at all possible. But I don't know that I don't know if we'll ever get back to the the highs of post restoration. I would hope so. That's what I'm working for. Um, but but I don't know how long it'll take. I don't know if it's a ten year journey or if it's a, a 30 year journey. And, yeah. and some states, some states are, you know, don't, they're not in any problems right now. I mentioned Wisconsin earlier, right? Uh, Michigan is another good example. Minnesota, um, they're fairly consistent. You know, Indiana is another one. Mm-hmm. Um, their, their population numbers seem to be, you know, I remember Steve Bax from Indiana who just retired giving us stuff. There seemed to be pretty, their, their harvest seems to be pretty stable and you know, it seems to be pretty consistent, but they were restored later and restored in lower numbers and they may just be hitting that high point. Yeah. And maybe 20 years from now, they're where a state like Louisiana might be or Alabama or Mississippi that's, or Georgia that's seen some declines, right? Mm-hmm. Um, North Carolina is a really good example. There's a project I'm I'm peripherally engaged with in North Carolina that's being run by Chris Mormon, uh, and, who's a professor over there. And, you know, they're doing the exact same stuff. And North Carolina does pretty good. Their their harvest and everything has been real flat. They've got really good numbers, but they're being proactive. And and they're they're trying to be sure that they've got good information for, you know, constructing their season links and and developing management on private lands and working on conservation actions. So, yeah. so you know, I think that it's possible. 
that we we I don't know, overshot might be the right word. Mm-hmm. And we're just kind of getting things back into balance in this Gen 2 area kind of right now. So, Do you think another part of the, I guess you could say, problem to that is that hunters are expecting too much of their landscapes? That's a tough question. So, um, I mean, not, yeah, no, no, I understand what you're asking. Not to pick on any hunter in particularly. Okay. Yeah. Um, you know, uh, yes, I, I would say that in general, um, maybe the, the expectations for what the land can produce are not in line with the expectations for what the hunters want. Yeah. And, and a lot of that has to do with the, constant bombardment of of harvest pictures and photographs and Mm -hmm. beards and spurs and all that kind of stuff and and you know if you think about the range of a a wild turkey just an average male okay three thousand acres over the course of a year right so that's a big area pretty damn big they're gonna they're they're gonna cover right oh yeah and if just if one day they happen to walk across somebody's property and, you know, get shot or die or get hit by a car or whatever it is, mm-hmm. you know, then there's a whole lot of people. I mean, think about how many 50 or 75 or, I mean, there's 30, there are, there would be 30 100 acre parcels in that turkey's range Gosh. owned by, owned by 30 different people. Yeah. And if that bird's cruising through everybody's property once every 10 or 15 days and they're getting, you know, that's their bird, right? Oh yeah. Oh yeah. That's their bird. So, so, so there, there might be some, some expectation imbalance, I would call it. Yeah. But I also think this, I think that turkey hunters are one of the most, conservation educated groups out there Mm -hmm. okay i mean it doesn't take a lot to manage deer you know they're just they're literally just brown land goats okay (laughs) you can you can do nothing and and have deer on the landscape i probably got 20 within a few miles of the house right and and they're, they're everywhere and it's fine but you know they're really really resilient turkey hunters know that that lands need to be managed and and they're educated about what they can do to create you know, roosting habitat and brooding habitat and nesting habitat and and why early successional vegetation is better than you know cool season pastures, right? Mm-hmm. And and so I think that the while there might be some some general expectation mismatch, I think that turkey hunters as a whole are one of the most conservation minded groups we've got. Agreed. You know, um, now now there's always exceptions to the rule. I mean, and I'm not picking on deer hunters or elk hunters or anybody else, but you know, there's always exceptions to the rule. You know, there there are people that all they want to do is shoot, get their limit, move on to the next state. Yep. Okay. I'm not judging. I I get it. I, you know, I, I loved. I'm going to hunt in three or four states this year. Um, but but I think that as a, as a whole, most people that are turkey Turkey fanatics are also habitat fanatics, and they're also regulation fanatics, and they're they're management fanatics, and I think that really is a boon for turkeys, uh, you know, generally speaking. So big time, big time. Well, man, I know we're getting short on time here. Mm. You go till you go until you want me to shut up. I'm okay. No, nah, man, so, I, don't, I don't want you to shut up. Uh, <laughs> we can do this again sometime and then pick on something else. So. Oh, there's so much to talk about on turkeys. I've, I've, I think I've got five or six different podcasts slated for this spring. 
And nice. I mean, that's not even enough. That's not even enough. So, <laughs> you know, when it comes to the whole, I want to come back to declining turkey populations. You sure. know, I feel like um, when people see that in the news, when you see it, there are hunters out there like, oh my God, you know, I, I don't want to lose my turkeys. You know, I love turkey hunting. And then, you know, it almost essentially kind of creates this sense of panic, if you mm-hmm. will. So we know that there's people like you with researchers t- teaming up with state biologists in the state and everybody's doing what they can to make sure that we're making those tweaks to help either level off those populations or get increase in numbers and everything. So we know that there's groups out there doing that. There's actionable things being done. Yep. What do you kind of have out there before we leave today? What do you have out there for the listeners to kind of ease that mind of theirs when they see declining turkey I can't speak this morning when they see (laughs) declining turkey populations. Well, so declining doesn't mean gone is what I'd say. First of all, Um, what you're seeing for for the the listeners that, and the the folks that read this kind of stuff, um, what you're seeing is a group of scientists and state agency people who are asked a question and give an honest answer. But also understand that they that we all recognize yeah. that there's an issue and there's focused effort to address and attempt to solve that issue. So so it's it's not this this harbinger of doom, right? Declining per- turkey populations. I'd rather have a headline that says uh, <laughs> I'd rather have a headline that says turkey populations are declining. And agency biologists and university professor professionals are working together to understand it. Yeah. As opposed to turkeys extinct in the United States. Yeah. And the problem is, is that turkey population declining, whatever the, and, and, and for the listeners, I don't want to call you guys lay people, but I'm going to here, is, is when you read that, you immediately jump to catastrophe. Yeah. Okay, and and I don't want you to jump to catastrophe. I want you to understand that there are a lot of people like me, smarter than me, that are are all working together. And we know there's an issue. Mm -hmm. And what we're trying to do is address the issue now to to not get to catastrophe. Yeah. You know, and and if you think about and and I hate to go back to the quail example, but if you think about Bob White quail in the United States, they're at catastrophe, right? Mm -hmm. There they are. There's a few places they exist in in relatively good abundance and they're they're pocketed and barely available pretty much everywhere else. Um, We see stuff like that and and we're trying to be super proactive. So don't immediately go to catastrophe. And and the good news is, is that through forums like this with HuntStand and, you know, I mean, I'm a university professor. I'm a public servant. That's my job. Yeah. If someone emails me, they get a response. Now, it may not be that day, mm-hmm. um, but, you know, if somebody emails me with a question or a need for information or anything like that, you're going to get a response from me. And I'll give you an honest answer. And if I don't know the answer, I'll send you to someone who does. And I encourage anybody that if you got a question, the first place to start is call your state agency biologist or send them an email. And they'll they'll give you an honest assessment or email me. And if you don't know who your state agency biologist is, email me and I'll I'll literally tell you who they are and hook you up with them. Because we tend to get, I mean, what do they call it? Clickbait? Yep. You know, head, headlines are splashy. Yep. You know, wow, turkey decline. We're all, oh my God. And really what it means is, yeah, we know. 
and and we've been working on it for a decade or longer a lot of us have to yeah. try and figure it out so it's in hand bear with us i will say this for all the listeners the hope and i think for many of us down the road is that things will happen like what happened in tennessee where um tennessee had a, a pretty novel idea where they went in and manipulated the regulations in some counties mm-hmm. And, and, you know, said, okay, you guys in County A, B, C, and D, you're going to hunt two weeks later than you guys in, you know, LMNOP, right? And, and doing some comparing and comparing and contrasting stuff at a small scale, which is cool, right? Uh, we need to do that on a larger scale. We need to do that on like an eco regional scale. Yeah. So, all right, everybody in the Southeast, we're going to push all our seasons back two weeks. And we're going to do it for four years, and we're going to see what happens with X, Y, and Z. Or, or everybody in the Southeast, we're going to put this on the landscape and see what happens. You know, Because mm-hmm. when you think about state agencies can really only control regulatory action and what management they can do on public land, right? So it's not catastrophe. It's, it's a bunch of people that already know what's happening and are trying to continue to get our hands wrapped around it. That's what's going on. So, like but if it. you think it's a, ca- a catastrophe, call me. I'll, I'll walk you. I'll walk you back from the edge of the cliff. There so. you go. <laughs> well, man, I really appreciate your time today and being able to talk about this. Bring some information to everybody out there. Tell us real quick where we can find you, social media, any of your work out there that people can find. Tell us. Sure. Yeah. No. So um, I'm a professor at LSU. Uh, the, the most direct route to my email is just type Brett Collier in LSU, and it'll pop up with either a really stupid picture of me kind of over to the side or or a picture of on my website. You can get my email address off of that and, and reach me. I'm, I, I'm on social media. Uh, it's Dr. Shortspur, um, which uh, <laughs> is actually a joke, uh, which happened many, many years ago. My buddy Kevin Scow and I was at A&M were trying to come up with a name for a Twitter account. And I was like, how about Dr. Spur? And he's like, <laughs> Dr. Shortspur, because he's about – foot taller than me so um so that is that um and, and i'm on instagram and twitter and facebook and i'm i'm a i'm not a power user mm-hmm. by by any means uh I, I post it's it's strictly science and it's it's irregular uh at best depending on what's going on um and then uh my friend mike chamberlain at the university of georgia that we work together he's actually had a website put together that's called wild turkey lab yep um, that that actually houses uh, all of my science on it as well as his. Cool. So, yeah, even though it says led by Mike Chamberlain, it, it should say, you know, led by Mike Chamberlain and his colleagues. Um, so because all the science, all of my graduate students and all of our work and, and all that kind of stuff goes up there as well. Um, but folks can feel free to reach out on, you know, any of the social media or just email me. And, and you know, it, I may not be immediate, but if you ask me a question, I will certainly get back to you. And there's a, a lot of good science that's available out there that's, you know, public information that I'd be more than happy to send anybody that wants to read it. So Sweet. Well, man, Brett, I really appreciate your time today talking turkey and hopping on the Hunt Stand podcast. No, yeah, I enjoyed it. And I, I look forward to the next time. So.
Brave anglers search for the one they call king, but who will take his throne? Tune in to Waypoint TV's Battle for Silver, Saturday, May 18th from 12 to 6 p.m. Eastern. Presented by Abyss Battery, Waypoint TV. A life that has the stories to back it. A life to be proud of. It's a Winchester life. Yeah, baby. 6-8 Western. Oh, I'll be over there, baby. Right there. Tune in every Tuesday at 7 p.m. Eastern on Waypoint TV.